You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome, everybody. It is the pre-Valentine's Day installment. Sure, why not? Of the J.C. and Morgan podcast, Mike Morgan of ESPN and SEC Network, J.C. Sports of 247 Sports, as well as the Big Spurt. Com. We've got uh, lots to get to. By the way, this is podcast number 99, so start planning your J.C. and Morgan number 100 party now because that's going to be, I mean, when you think about it, that ought to be a national holiday. I don't know if that's gone through Congress yet. yet. They've been busy with a lot of other things, but uh, at some point that ought to be a holiday, and uh, we'll, we'll certainly pop open the, uh, the bottle of champagne when we get number 100 under the belt. But as for now, it is number 99. JC, the last time we were on, uh, it was before the Super Bowl and right before National Signing Day. Did you enjoy the Super Bowl, first off? I actually did enjoy the Super Bowl. I thought um, we kind of had a surprise party where I was at. It was like I I, I told my girlfriend um, when she was going to the store, I was like, get some macaroni salad, okay? This is going to sound kind of weird. because I was just hungry and wanted to eat some macaroni salad and watch Super Sounds Bowl. Sounds like code for something devious. And go to bed. It's, it's some not. macaroni salad, wink, wink. I love macaroni salad. So I said, okay. ba- I said baby, get some macaroni salad. And she's like, all right. <laughs> and so then she comes back and she's like, Paulie and John and Beth and Jeff are all coming over. And so I was like, well, this means I have to get up and get a shower and entertain and have company and have adult beverages and all this other stuff. So I didn't eat my macaroni salad until later, but I did enjoy the Super Bowl. I I predicted the Chiefs would win and cover the spread, and I looked like I was going to be wrong for a while, but um, ended up being right about that. So it was a very entertaining Super Bowl. Happy for Andy Reid. Happy for the great fans of the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I When it's a big game, I don't like spending it with a ton of people because then I, I can't hear and I do actually care about what the announcers say, and I feel like I, if they're doing their job, I have a better handle on what's going on. Uh, so uh, just a, just a couple people for me, nothing uh, nothing too crazy. Uh, pretty dialed into the game itself, which thankfully was a lot more entertaining than than the year before. Uh, I I did find something interesting 
I'm going to get to this real quick and then I got to tell you a story and then we're going to get into what I know you were all over last Wednesday, which was national signing day part due. And then there's D'Antonio news, there's assistant musical chairs, there's all kinds of stuff. So this is from our, uh, our man over there at, uh, CBS, uh, Barrett Slee, who's also based here in Atlanta. He did a thing I thought was pretty interesting. He said, this is a look, he took the team's starting lineup, right? Offense, defense are both teams. And then he wrote to the side of them what their actual ranking, recruiting ranking was based on stars, based on your outlet, 24-7 sports. Okay? So you would – I think your average person would think, well, there's going to be chock full of four- and five-star players, right? Not necessarily. For example, Pat Mahomes, three-star kid. The number 29 pro-style quarterback coming out of high school. Now, a lot of people thought he was going to be a baseball guy. His father, of course, is a major league baseball pitcher. And then even, you know, I did a couple of his games in college back when I was doing Big 12 football on Fox. He uh, he certainly was very talented, but everybody I ever saw at Texas Tech looked talented and was throwing open receivers and putting up gaudy numbers. I remember I had Graham Harrell in the Gator Bowl years ago when Mike Leach was the coach. Uh, so, I mean, I knew I was looking at a good talent. Anybody who says they knew Pat Mahomes was going to take the NFL over by storm is lying, (laughs) is absolutely lying. And not to take anything away from him, Andy Reid, and I was happy for Andy Reid. I had no dog in the fight. I typically pull for the NFC. I guess you could say I'm an NFC guy. Andy Reid has been one of the most brilliant play callers for a long time now. I've never thought he's a great motivator and therefore never a great coach. But if you want to talk about a guy who can scheme up plays, then you give him weapons like Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and Kelsey. It's insane. It's an embarrassment of riches over there. So Pat Mahomes has a lot around him. Much like we talk about with coaches, you take a a great college coach and you make him the head coach at, say, I don't know, Vanderbilt. Let's see what he does. Um, oh, by the way, the Vandy AD is gone. <laughs> That's a whole other can of worms. I was in Nashville during that. Um, but but he's Andy. And with all due respect to, to Eric Bieniemy, and there's this big movement. And I stress the word movement that for Eric Bieniemy to get a head coaching job, and that's fine. I did a couple of Colorado games when he was the OC there. He didn't look very brilliant to me when he was charting up plays for the Buffaloes a few years ago, and they couldn't win any games. And eventually, that whole staff got fired. So Andy Reid is is the magician, and you combine him with uh, a quarterback like Mahomes, who's very gifted. The fact that he was three stars tells me that he was undervalued. Uh, but he's very gifted and so on and so forth. And of course he's got a lot of players, uh, around whom I mentioned. And speaking of those other players, Travis Kelsey, two stars, my, this might be the best tight end in the NFL, the number 85 tight end coming out of high school. I have to look where, what high school that I don't even know where he's from. JC, do you, do you what part of the country? Uh, Patrick Kelsey. I'm... That that's Google worthy. Um, Damian Williams, we know from the SEC, a three-star kid, A and M. Sammy Watkins was a five-star, you know, Clemson stud. Um, Eric Fisher, former top pick in the NFL draft, two-star offensive lineman. Uh, in fact, their whole offensive line was either a two-star. The highest was Mitchell Schwartz. May the Schwartz be with you. Uh, the right tackle, he was a three-star guy. On the defensive side, 
two five stars, Kendall Fuller, defensive back, and Chris Jones, who had a big game. Seems like he deflected every other pass that Garoppolo threw. He was a five star. Everybody else was a three star, except for Tyron Matthew, who was a four. Mm-hmm. Did we find out, Kelsey? Yes, he was a uh, University of Cincinnati. Uh, he's from Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland Heights. Class of wow. class of '08. So I don't, I don't remember what if that was. Would that have been Brian Kelly in the Brian Kelly era at Cincinnati? Right uh, around there. Yeah, Bearcats beat Akron and Cleveland State and Connecticut. <laughs> Isn't that correct? I mean, that just. I'm you know, I'm guessing he was a late bloomer. I played at a small private school. Who knows? Somebody may have projected him as an offensive lineman because he was 6'6", 252 coming out of high school. And yeah, well, there so you go. That, that he may have been, though, one of those grow-into-a-tackle guys. Uh, and he just stayed at tight end and ended up uh, making it happen. I rated Kendall Fuller five stars and Sammy Watkins five stars. I was yep. in the middle of all that. And uh, my friend Jerry Hamilton, who works with you guys at ESPN now, um, I got to give him credit for Chris Jones. We had him as a five-star top five player in the country before he went to Mississippi State. His recruitment was insane. That's a story for another day. Um, And seeing him do what he did at the Super Bowl, that just kind of, I think, reinforced the tremendous amount of upside that kid had. And uh, I remember the day Jerry was watching his film. I think he had one offer. Uh, And we watched his film and ranked him high. Um, And in the state of Mississippi, you can find guys like that. So hats off. Shout out to my boy Jerry. I uh, don't want to take credit for that one uh, with Chris Jones. The only other player of note who uh, might be the most uncoverable wide receiver in football, I'm not saying he's the best, but no one can cover Tyreek Hill one-on-one. He's just too freaking fast. He has no stars. Like uh, He has basically uh, N.A. next to him, which I'm not sure exactly what that's all about. But, uh, you know, coming out of uh, where did he go? He went to law. He was from Water Hill, Florida. And, of course, went to um, junior college. Co- yeah, went Juco. So that's probably why I'm sure grades or something were the issue. Of course, he's had a lot of issues off the field. Um, then goes to Oklahoma State and then the University of West Alabama continues to get in trouble and yeah. continues to get second, third chances, including from the Chiefs. So that's why you don't see a bunch of uh, stars next to him. He, but, was I mean, running, he was a running back and a kick returner, too. Yeah. Um, coming out of JUCO, that's what uh, a lot of schools wanted him is that uh, South Carolina actually recruited him out of junior college. I remember Spurrier, mm. Steve Spurrier Jr., but they he ended up going to Oklahoma State and then doing whatever he's done. But, yeah, outstanding, yeah. outstanding player. And, and, and I talked about Mississippi. This is why you recruit South Florida. Speed. Oh, of course. Yeah. Speed. No question. It's, it's, it's unreal down there. So, so really your top three players for my money on the Kansas city's offense, Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyree kill. Uh, you've got Mahomes, a three star Kelsey, a two star and Tyree kill no stars for various reasons. Uh, and I mentioned what they are defensively. How about San Francisco Garoppolo, as we know, it, you know, did not play football at a high level in college. He was a two star kid coming out of high school. Uh, Debo Samuel, they have as a three-star. Emmanuel Sanders, who's had a very good career in college, uh, excuse me, in the pros, a two-star. George Kittle, it might be the second-best tight end in the NFL, a three-star. They don't have anybody who's a five-star. They only have one four-star, and that's their right tackle, Mike McGlinchey. Everybody else was a two or a three. 
And then on defense, the highest, the only five-star was Eric Armstead. Uh, and the fours were Sheldon Day and DeForest Buckner. Uh, did a couple of his games back in the day. So I remember DeForest Buckner well. And that's it. Bunch of twos and threes. And what does it all mean? I, I don't know if there's an overlying uh, point. I just think it's it's curious and fascinating. We always talk about the diamonds in the rough in college. There's a lot of diamonds in the rough that you see starting in, in the NFL, including on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, and, and look, this also shows you, too. I mean, I, I'd be curious to see also what round some of these guys were drafted in um, as opposed to success. Because I, I think you hit about 60% whenever you're evaluating this game, and that's uh, – you know, that's in terms of, you know, first-round draft picks, five stars and national rankings and recruiting. I think when you're a coach trying to put together a, uh, a roster uh, in college, you want to hit higher than 60% because I think you'd get fired if you didn't, uh, depending on who the 60% of the guys are. And as a GM in, in the NFL, you want to hit higher than 60%. But that, that's putting together a team. Uh, that's not necessarily when you're talking about individual talent, which is what star ratings are. Uh, you mentioned Armstead. I'm going to say this, and I love to admit when I'm wrong, Mike. I don't love it, but I will. because That I doesn't happen very often. All this stuff is so good to talk about after the fact, and it's actually cathartic for me. I <laughs> thought Eric Armstead was going to be an offensive tackle. We had him as the number one player in the country coming out of high school, Northern California kid. Uh, our team had very high – we had a lot of reservations – uh, if he was going to be a defensive end, we, we didn't think it end at all. We thought D tackle maybe, but he played too high. Offensive tackle, he's probably a stud. Look at him. He's one of the best big ends in the, in the league. Um, so we had him as probably as a top five player in the country, but we were wrong with the evaluation. Mike McGlinchey, though, I'm going to stand on the table for because I saw this kid. He's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Big, tall, basketball player type, good feet, but skinny. Like, skinny coming out of high school, needed to gain weight, went to Notre Dame, developed, and, and you see that athleticism and the way he can move his feet and all that good stuff. I wish I'd have had him higher because I think he was kind of the end of the top 200 or whatever, um, but a Philly kid that panned out there. Mike McGlinchey from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um <laughs> And, and so those are two guys that are good. But, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating to look at that. And I, I'm kind of of the opinion that if you're, if you're going to take a torch to the star ratings, and I'm not saying that's not what Barrett Salee was doing. I think it's, it's interesting and valid data no matter what, that rosters of Super Bowl teams are not necessarily, you know, the, the way to go. You know, what I would do, Mike, is, is, you know, we look at the college championship games. And, yes, this past year, a bunch of four- and five-star guys on Clemson and LSU. But looking back, look back when Clemson beat Alabama in 2016, and, and don't just look at, like, the, the recruiting rankings. Look at the players in that game that made an impact for Clemson that were not five-stars. Tight end Jordan Leggett. They don't win the game without him. Uh, running back Wayne Gallman was a low four-star, high three-star. People thought he was going to be a linebacker. Hunter Renfro was a freaking <laughs> walk-on, you know, <laughs> walk-on wide receiver. Their five-star guys in their receiver core that year were Deion Kane and Ray Ray McElathby, and those guys didn't do nearly as much as a guy like Mike Williams, who was a low four-star kid out of South Carolina that had two offers from both in-state schools, and that's it. Um, 
And, and then their defense, Ben Bolware. I mean, I could go through that list over and over and over again. And, and so people ask me sometimes, like, Clemson got all these five-star guys, and that's how they ended up winning. Well, yeah, for every, but for every C.J. Spiller and Deshaun Watson and Sammy Watkins through the rise of Clemson, there's been a kid like Nuke Hopkins who had one offer from Daniel High School who was a low four-star, high three-star guy who ran a 4'8", that ended up blowing up, or or a guy like a, a, a Kevin Dodd or a Grady Jarrett who plays for the Falcons, who you know was a two star kid out of Georgia, um, and so I think that the lesson here is if you really know what you're doing, you can put together a championship level team uh, with guys that that maybe don't have the the hype or that the, the consensus is they are good, but you have to know what you're doing. Um, and, and that's the problem is that a lot of times, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of just is what it is. But, but there, there are – when it comes to team building and, and, and putting your team in a position to win a championship, you know, there are all sorts of factors other than raw talent projection that goes into it. No doubt. Hunter Renfro, by the way, catching passes in the NFL last year. Um, just, to, just to put a bow on this uh, article from Salee, the Chiefs, and again on a five-star scale, held a slight 2.6 average of star ranking to 2.4 over San Francisco. So there you have it. I think it was just a fun little exercise to look back. I'm always curious where all these guys come from. You know, I didn't know that Kelsey, for example, was completely under the radar. Uh, and as you mentioned, there, there are reasons for that. Uh, I mean, I, I saw Mahomes in college and I'm not surprised that he wasn't a five star. And again, many people projected him to, to be a big league pitcher as opposed to an NFL quarterback. So take from all that what you will. JC, I know what you were doing last Wednesday. I was in Nashville getting ready to call a basketball game. And of course, it was National Signing Day. And I'd been told a few days earlier from a number of people that actually worked on the national signing day show that they would started hearing more and more about LSU, LSU on Jordan Birch. And that became a drama that was a national uh, story, not just one involving LSU in South Carolina. And then you had all the talk about, which is true. Uh, you know, you don't have to sign a letter of intent to go play college football. I mean, we're just used to that being the process, but technically speaking, he didn't have to do that. And for that matter, he didn't have to verbally commit anywhere. Uh, but that's typically the way it goes. So I, I don't know. I heard a million different rumors. I'm sure you have too, and you're much closer to it than the 99.9% of the people out there. But the Jordan Birch, there's, it seems like there's one of these or two of these every year in recruiting. The Jordan Birch saga became uh, the story of the second period in particular because most of the marquee players have already signed in the first period. So just your thoughts on that and the overall big takeaway from what you saw on National Signing Day Part 2. Well, okay, so Jordan Birch, I'll say this. You know, it, it he didn't sign after he surprisingly committed to South Carolina um, in December. And, and there was a reason for that. His teammates didn't sign. His teammates included one Jackson Muschamp, the uh, son of Gamecock head coach Will Muschamp, South Carolina recruit Alex Huntley, a four-star D tackle, also did not sign. And at their school for, in February, they have a signing ceremony. And so that was kind of the deal why they didn't sign. 
But you knew. <laughs> you knew that LSU and Georgia uh, were not going to give up. Georgia was very surprised Jordan Birch went to South Carolina the first signing day. LSU was not going to give up. So, sure enough, he takes a secret visit to LSU. Uh, and then unofficially. And then he takes a, an official visit to South Carolina. And the whole week you're here and Gamecocks got him. Even the LSU people have resigned. Well, it looks like he's going to stay at home. Whatever. So the ceremony happens. And, you know, Jordan and his mother have disdain, is the best way I could put it, for the media uh, that covers recruiting. I, I don't know the, uh, any other word. And, and that's fine. I mean, believe me, I'm pro-media. But I'm also sort of a libertarian and, and believe that in the United States of America, if, if you don't want to talk to the media, that's your right. And, and I ain't mad at you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so his mom whisked him away, no interviews. And, and some of the media there were like, oh, no interviews. And, and, and so, you know, everybody's asking, did he send in the letter of intent? Well, he didn't. 24 hours later, he did. And, so you dig into the why did, why did this happen? Well, it basically was his mother getting rubbed the wrong way, not with necessarily with South Carolina or with LSU or anybody, but with the process. And the 24 hours allow for all kinds of rumors um, because they, they never and, – and I'll say this to recruits and their families out there. If you don't shut coaching staffs out – it's going to get out that you're still talking to them because it's just the way it is these days. You know, coaching staffs want that out because people talk about it, creates buzz, whatever. Um, and they never shut LSU off. And LSU's a great program. Ed Orgeron's a great recruiter, and they never gave up, and that's fine. So it led to all this speculation before they finally sent in the letter of intent. But from what I was told, his mom was just like, no, I don't want to send it in right now because of some disdain for the process. Um, his mom and, and he both, if you ask coaches that recruited him at other schools, Jordan was always open and, you know, respectful and, uh, and he's a really good kid. He's not, this is not some of your typical drama, you know, but, but they, they were worried that they would have to overcome his mother's strong preference for him to stay at home and go to South Carolina. And then by the end of it, you know, he, he was sold on South Carolina. So good job by Will Muschamp and, and, and the staff. Um, it wasn't as dramatic as, as, and I remember two of them specifically, one that kind of played out like a reality show, uh, whereas it wasn't a big deal. That was Landon Collins and his mom, uh, on sign on, uh, during oh, yeah. the Under Armour game when he committed to Baba and she had LSU gear on. Um, but I'm told that his mom at the end of the day, didn't really care that that was more for show. Uh, and then Alex Collins. Now, this was this was an interesting one. Alex Collins. It was uh, Brett Bielema, I think, first class uh, at Arkansas, and he went to South Florida. He had a he had a guy on his staff really good at recruiting down there. And Alex Collins was like, "I'm going to Arkansas," and his mom hijacked the letter of intent and ran off with it, <laughs> like ran. Like there's video of her running away with it. Um. Not quite as fast as Alex, not but, quite, not but as fast she as ran Alex a solid five two forty. Wanted him to stay home and go to the U. So uh, he was—I think he was from Plantation, Florida, in uh, Broward County. Uh, and he, yeah, you know, she finally relented. Alex Collins went to Arkansas and had a really good career. But um, so, so the Birch thing was not quite as wild as that. Um, 
you know, both like in terms of Landon Collins and the optics there publicly play it out, which, you know, come to find out was just kind of some show. And then the very real, uh, you know, snatch and go <laughs> with the letter of intent with Alex Collins in Arkansas. So it, it didn't quite rise to that level. I, but um, at the end of the day, you know, most of the speculation about it w- was wrong. He, you know, it wasn't a fact that he was torn and the decision was made. It was just, you know, a delay in the logistics thanks to what I consider some some unrealistic disdain for the process. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, and when you and when you and by the way, I was I can I can talk freely about this now. I felt like I was, you know, being witness to a, an alien landing that I I couldn't mention uh, because the CIA would would have to quarantine me from uh, some type of uh, rebellious army, I don't know. But I, I was at the basketball practice, getting ready to do a South Carolina basketball game on the SEC Network when Jordan Birch and his mother walked in, and Frank Martin was talking. And a very very common thing to do, you know. Uh, basketball kids go to basketball games, and Jordan's actually a kid that's a good basketball player. And might want to play some hoops. Um, and then, you know, of course, a few days later, more drama. And uh, I did his high school game as part of the ESPN showcase back in August. Could not be a nicer kid. Incredibly shy. I mean, he walks in the room and you're like, and I'm around. You and I have both been around college athletes for a long time. Okay. There's very few athletes that there's like a wow factor like i haven't seen much of that he walks into a room and it's whoa (laughs) i haven't seen many kids that look like that uh his legs are built like tree trunks um he you know obviously he's big i've seen big before uh but he's a different kind of big which would be the one thing i mean when people try to make comparisons to a jadavion clowney I see him, if he keeps putting on weight the way you think he would, he's going to bulk up when he gets to college, as most kids do. He could easily turn into a defensive tackle, would be my one uh, concern. I don't see him as a, as a lightning-fast rush end three years from now when he's eligible for the NFL draft. But who knows? You know, I, I could be wrong. But uh, he was a great kid, painfully shy. Uh, but the mom was definitely front and center in that whole recruiting process. And I learned years ago when it comes to recruiting, never count out mama. Mm. When you hear about all the stuff and all the, why he would go here and why he would go there, never count mama out. Uh, And so anyway, that has come to a close. The final rankings are out and it's, you know, it's not like the preseason polls every year that we talk about in college football, where it's the usual suspects, right? I mean, we've just gotten to a point in time, uh, the cabal, where it's the same half a dozen schools we're talking about competing for the national title every year. It's just where we are in college football. It looks like LSU, you know, might be kind of fresh blood there. Uh, they were never that far out of that uh, cabal. Uh, of course, they lost a ton, so I wouldn't expect them to be going back to back. But you look at the recruiting rankings, and it's a lot of the same names. It's Georgia, number one. It's Bama, two. It's Clemson, three. Stop me if you've heard that before. LSU, four. Ohio State, five. A&M, six. We know Jimbo's going to bring athletes to A&M. And this is the year to get results. Uh, Auburn, seven. Then we got some new blood. There's, you know, the knock on Dan Mullen has always been, yeah, guy can coach him up as well as anybody, but he's not exactly in love with recruiting. 
He's number eight. He put together a number eight class at Florida. Nine, Texas. Same old, same old. Ten, Tennessee. Tennessee. Then Oklahoma, Oregon, Miami, Michigan, Penn State. Uh, it's a little surprised to see Washington there with the coaching change and everything else. Notre Dame, South Carolina, North Carolina, Nebraska. That is your top 20. I think for me, one of the biggest stories of signing day was something somebody not in the top 20, and that was number 30 in Arkansas. I didn't think Arkansas had a chance of putting together a top 50 class with all that's gone down at Fayetteville, but they, they closed strong, didn't they? Well, Sam Pittman can recruit, and I think they had a good uh, a good run with staff. You know, Justin Stepp is a holdover on that staff, who I think is a rising star uh, in the in the in the business as far as coaching receivers. You know, Kendall Bryles obviously comes in with a good name. Barry Odom, uh, if people remember when he was the D coordinator at Memphis under Justin Fuente, he was considered one of the uh, up and comers uh, in the business. And so you got all those guys there, and. You know, heck yeah, you, you know, Sam Pittman's going to be able to go and win some recruiting battles. The question is going to always be, is it going to be enough? Um, and I look here and, you know, uh, one of the smart things I think he did was he didn't really limit himself to Texas and Arkansas. I mean, they got four from Arkansas, three from Texas. They went into Georgia and got some kids like Houston Nutt used to do. Went into Tennessee, which is an adjacent state with uh, – an emerging talent base, especially in the Western part, Arkansas can get kids there. You know, so I think they did a really good job. You know, they also got a safety out of Oklahoma, which is right across the border. So um, probably Mike, and I know you love quarterbacks. If you're talking about the Razorbacks, the guy you got to look out for is Malik Hornsby. Uh, They got the best quarterback available uh, down the stretch. You know, you don't have that many guys uh, that are available at quarterback uh, sort of down the stretch of the second part of the recruiting. Uh, but they went into Texas to Fort Ben Marshall um, and got Malik Hornsby. He used to be committed to North Carolina, had offers at one point from Alabama, Texas A&M, and others. So uh, Kendall Browse doing some good things there uh, to get Malik Hornsby uh, to come out there and be a hog. And in time, maybe as soon as this year, uh, this kid's going to make an impact. I, I- refresh my memory because I'm so confused these days and, and clearly they have to do something about unifying the transfer rules. Now you got the big 10 saying we're, we're going to come up with our own rule. You, you get your own transfer without sitting out. Everybody gets, gets one of those. We'll see what happens there. Felipe Franks, did, did, did he try to get a waiver? Did he get a waiver or is he sitting out? I think Felipe Franks is a graduate transfer. So That's right. He's a grad. Yeah. He could Gosh, be, it, uh, well, it's confusing because sometimes you don't know because you, you have to follow guys' academic process. Uh, right. Did uh, he graduate know. already from Florida? Well, a lot of times they do it over the summer. Okay. And then they go out to their new school. Um, I know last year at South Carolina, Tavian Feaster, of course, was a graduate transfer from Clemson. He finished up his classes at Clemson in July. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons nobody really talked about the fact that he was going to South Carolina, even though everybody knew it. Uh, is because, you know, you're you're sitting there on Clemson's campus and you're a well-known football player. You're trying to, you know, get through uh, college math or do an internship, and everybody knows you're going to play for South Carolina in the fall. You, you may, you know, you may run up against some, some, some opposition, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, he, he is a graduate transfer, and uh, we'll head there. Um, and, and so we'll see what, what they do with him this year. Um I, honest to God, Mike, I think Malik Hornsby, if he gets in there and 
uh, plays to his potential early and can can develop just a little bit faster. I think he's going to be better mm. than Felipe Franks. But um, another thing with the Franks thing, I felt bad for Les Miles because uh, Les Miles tried to get Felipe Franks when he was a coach at LSU, and now he's at Kansas, and it looked like Franks may be heading to Kansas, and uh, the Razorbacks came in and, and scooped him up. So <laughs> interesting. Old Les won't get to coach Felipe Franks after all. So. All right, so we don't want to go too deep in the woods, and I want to get to other stuff. But just in you know, in a in sixty seconds or less, your just final takeaway from from this signing day ranking. Anything else? We we covered some specifics, but your overall thoughts. I mean, look, I'm going to be honest with you, and I hope Georgia fans don't get mad at me, uh, or South Carolina fans, or whoever. I thought Clemson had the best class in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know Georgia and Bama technically numerically were ranked ahead, and numerically. This is one of the best classes in history uh, since there's been 24-7 sports composite rankings, which you know go all the way back to like 05. Uh, so 15 years, Florida's 2010 class was ranked a little higher. Or, I mean, a little bit below. And that was the best numerically in history. I think Georgia and Bama both passed that. Um, but but I, I look at Clemson's class, Mike, and, and you have a generational talent in Brian Brisset, the defensive lineman, uh, another stud defensive lineman in Miles Murphy, a, a Dante Culpepper type quarterback prospect to DJ Ukulele. Um, the D line class and the fact they got another outstanding quarterback, I mean, for me alone, uh, is, is, is enough to say I think this is the best one. Uh, and that's not to even mention that, you know, Demarcus Bowman, who they took from the Gators, you know, nobody goes into Lakeland, Florida and gets players, okay? You know, you're from Florida, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, very familiar with the Gators program. Lakeland mm-hmm. is Gator country. I mean, yeah, for, the, for those who don't know, it's smack dab in the middle of Orlando and Tampa. Yeah, and uh, an, an outstanding kind of, uh, kind of deal there. So he's a five-star running back, probably will remind some of Spiller. And, and, and then, you know, and here, here's why I get, you know, and I'm not anti-recruiting rankings at all, but – Here's where when people get mad and say Georgia's class is so superior to Clemson's because of the few points, you know, Clemson signed a kid out of Cedartown, Georgia, home of one Nick Chubb named Kobe Pryor at running back, who I guarantee you is going to be better than the five-star back that dropped to a four-star out of California that Georgia signed. Guarantee you. I will go – I will – I would be shocked if Kobe Pryor from Georgia – it was a high, high three-star guy, according to the recruiting industry, um, is not better than Kendall Milton, the ultra-hyped guy out of Fresno, who's good. But not, this kid from Georgia I thought was better uh, who went to Georgia. And if, you, and if you're dealing with micro points like that, number one versus number three class, that kind of rating, which is an outlier, which is weird, you know, that kind of thing is what separates it. But I, I, I think that at some point people have to, you know, Clemson's got to, you know, people have to start believing in Clemson. I mean, they're not just going to go get any old guys. And, you know, guys like this, a little under the radar, <coughs> are the types of guys that help them rise as a program. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, we all get choked up over recruiting <laughs> recruiting rankings. It's a yes. sensitive subject. Um, all right. So we'll, we'll close the book on recruiting for now. And get to some of the other things going on. I do have to tell a quick story, and I know you'll like this. 
So if you need to go grab a drink of water, I'll I'll stall in the meantime. You know what? I'll tell, I'm going to tell the people to take care of a little business before I get into the story. I want to remind people the football special that many of you took advantage of that listened to this podcast that wanted to look your very best during the fall. Now you can still look your very best for the new year in 2020. Uh, Brent Skinner, BP Skinner Clothiers, I, I mean, again, I, I can only tell you just firsthand results. When I wear something that Brent has put together, the Scabal sports coats and, jack- and suit jackets, for example, custom-made uh, shirts. You mentioned this, that you heard it on the podcast. You get a free custom-made shirt to go along with your jacket or suit. Uh, it's an incredible value. Uh, there's just there's not a better uh, a selection for you. It's priced right. And again, he comes to you. You don't have to waste your time in some department store. So go ahead and go to bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment. Tell Brent Skinner where you are and where you want him to be. He'll come there. He's got all the samples, the fabrics. He fits you for everything. And all I can tell you is it makes a difference. It makes a difference for people like my sm- uh, myself, uh, Matt Berry, Marty Smith of ESPN, several coaches, former players, and just business people in general. They want to look good. They want to look good. Uh, it, it is something that will not only make you look good, but it will make you feel good in the process. Go to bpskinnerclothiers.com. Again, mention you heard it on the podcast. Free custom-made shirt. That's like a couple hundred dollar value uh, that is on the house. Thanks to both listening to us and thanks to the generosity of one Brent Scott. I'm not buying any more ties. I can't be doing that, but uh, you'll still get the free shirt. Okay. Um, so I mentioned this has been a, a crazy week. So first I'm, I'm at Jordan Birch Central, right, and, and I'm, I'm in the midst of that. Then I go to Nashville for a basketball game in LSU, if you've been following college hoops. Uh, they were undefeated in the SEC play. Vanderbilt hadn't won a game in two years. Uh, they just found out their AD mysteriously resigned or was pushed out. There's a lot of different stories there, and I'm not even prepared to dig into that rumor mill. Um, it was a curious hire to begin with. You hire the G League commissioner to be an AD of an SEC school. He, in turn, hires a guy that's never been a college coach before in Jerry Stackhouse, who I think has a chance to do a good job. Um, I like Jerry in a lot of ways. Anyway, they pull off the upset. They, they beat LSU. Uh, and then eventually uh, I go, I had Auburn LSU on ESPN on Saturday, which is one of the best games of the year. You didn't see it went to overtime and, and Auburn won it. And I, I, I never thought I'd be saying this, JC, but Auburn, the Auburn arena, hmm. which used to be to, to do a basketball game at Auburn was almost depressing at points. Uh, and they went through the Tony Barbie era and the Jeff Lebo era. And it was just bad upon bad upon bad. And Auburn basketball was just, nah. and now it has become one of the best environments in all of college athletics. So uh, that is the power of Bruce Pearl. And they are, they are tailgating for basketball. Like it's football now on the plains. It's great to see as someone just who loves college basketball. And I, I always resented, as you know, the notion that, well, you know, SEC is all about football and therefore you can't get people excited about basketball. It's nonsense. You put together a quality product and a showman like Bruce Pearl, and they will come, and they and they have. So let me go back to Nashville. We stay at a hotel very often called the Lowe's, kind of a swank hotel right there in the West End uh, near campus. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I figured there. that. A lot of country music singers have been in and out of there. It's a, it's a historic hotel. 
So after the game, we go to, there's a little, uh, bar and we're all, you know, starving. So we get our hands on whatever flatbread or whatever, uh, high carb fattening food we can eat late at night just to keep our stomach from growling. That's life on the road. Um, and our director (laughs) who is a music aficionado goes, you see that table over there and it's tucked away in the corner with a huge TV that happens to be replaying the game we just did. And he goes, yeah, that's Robert Plant. I said, yeah, ha, 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 get out of here. He goes, goes, no, Mike, that's that's Robert Plant. And I go over there and I I sneak a peek and I'm like, you're not bleeping kidding. That's Robert Plant, Led Zeppelin's Robert Plant. Now, I don't get that excited over musicians typically, but if you know anything about the history of music, you know there's the Beatles, there's Michael Jackson, there's pick your genre. Led Zeppelin, like people ripped off Led Zeppelin for years. They were cutting edge. And I'm not even – I'm not what you would call a diehard fan. I don't go into my car every day and put the old iPod on uh, – on Zeppelin, but I know enough about about music, and I appreciated a lot of their music because it was so at the time cutting edge. We'd never heard anything quite like that. It's Robert freaking Plant, and <laughs> we're all sitting there. And our director says, "Yeah, I, I saw him here a couple years ago when I was there for a game." He says, "He won't. He'll talk to you when he's by himself, but he was with uh, another guy and two very young ladies, Robert." Uh, you know, still getting it done. And uh, so and I was like, well, look, I don't want to talk to him. I just want a picture. You know, I got my little wall of fame in the man cave, and I, I got a picture of me and Snoop Dogg, and I got a picture. I know you have one too. Oh, yeah. And I got pictures of certain athletes, and I was like, I, the only thing that's missing is Robert freaking Plant. So I don't have the guts to go up and do it. And our director's like, nah, he's going to turn you down. He, he, I, I can't do it either. Our producer's like, no. No, my girlfriend, who's at the table, barely knows who Robert Plant is, goes right up to him. And I'm thinking if if he says no, she can't get it. None of us are because she looks a hell of a lot better than we do. Hmm. And she goes up and basically gets denied. He's like, oh, he kind of laughs it off. Like, I'm not. You think I'm Robert Plant? I'm not really Robert. Well, it was Robert Plant. (laughs) So (laughs) so she gets the Heisman. The rest of us are thinking the whole rest of the night, did we do it? Did we do it? And the bartender who has seen him a number of times says, look, here's what you do. You're never going to get – no one's going to get one when he's at the table. But if you catch him like when he gets up or if he's in the elevator with you, he'll, he'll do it. So I'm talking to the bartender and all of a sudden he walks right – unbeknownst to me, he walks right behind me and then practically sprints out of the bar before I could ever ask him. Oh! So I, I know. So I have a picture of Robert Plant, all shaggy-haired at the bar. You can barely make out his face. But I don't have a story like, hey, I chatted with Robert Plant. You know, he was telling me about how he recorded Zeppelin Four and how he, him and Paige, you know, they don't get along well, but they, they – I don't have any of that, nor do I have a picture. But I can say that for one night I was sharing the same room, the same bar uh, – with Robert Plant. So there's my brush with greatness. It didn't turn out the way I hoped, but you being a music guy, I figured you to be able to appreciate that. Yeah, I was in, um, of course, I used to live in Nashville, and I guess the closest something like that was, uh, Little Richard was in uh, a place <laughs> where we were having a 24-7 sports convention. 
one time, and uh, I was on a flight to Las Vegas, uh, and I went actually it was on American Airlines, and I went uh, I was going to a wedding with a friend of mine, and we connected through LAX. So in other words, flew from Nashville to LAX, and then LAX hopped over to Vegas. And on our flight from LAX to Vegas in first class, sitting there was John Voigt. Oh. Coach Bud Kilmer. <laughs> and uh, I didn't go up to him. I just kind of took a picture of him when I was walking onto the plane very slyly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I've been there before. But that, Robert Plant, man, I mean, that's like a Robert. megastar. Yeah, and he's real. I heard him interviewed by Howard Stern. Like, he does not like talking about the Zeppelin days. Which is kind of odd because I'm like, dude, <laughs> I, yeah, I, like these musicians, I know they all want to turn the page and focus on the news material. And like I saw Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden, I give him credit. He said, okay, I'm going to give you a choice. These are all the new songs I've written over the last five years that I can play. He threw up a page and then there was another page. He said, and these are all the hits. What would you like? The new stuff or the hits? The new stuff? By a show of applause, new stuff. Yay. Hits. Yeah. Guess what he did? He played nothing but the hits. That's what everybody wanted to hear, and that's that's what we listened to. You just you, if you're Robert Plant, with all due respect to what he's recorded the last twenty years, I don't even know what it is. Come on, you're Zeppelin, dude. So he he doesn't like talking about it though. He doesn't like when he was on Stern. Kept trying to milk it out of him. You know, Stern can get it out of anybody. Wouldn't go there. Just wouldn't go there. And he's and he's just and he's not a guy that likes taking pictures or having random conversations. So uh, I, I wish I had a better story. But I had to at least share that I at least I ran into somewhat Robert freaking Plant, kind of cool. All right, um, you know what also was cool in 2010 when working with the Big Ten Network, I ran into Mark D'Antonio because not quite the same star as Robert Plant. Never cut an album. Don't even know if he can carry a tune. But uh, Mark D'Antonio was a pleasure. I mean, we had meetings with him. This is back when Kirk Cousins was their quarterback and. Uh, I remember at the time thinking, wow, this guy has got Michigan State rolling. That year that I did the game at Michigan State, the Spartans went 11-2. and They finished in a tie for first in the, in the Big Ten, going 7-1. and uh, They made it to the Capital One Bowl. The next year, they went 11-3, and first place in the Legends Division, back when we called it that silly stuff. Uh, they won an Outback Bowl. They had a quote-unquote off year in 2012. They went 7-6, and six, went to the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, uh, and then proceeded to go 13-1, and 11-2, and 12-2 and two, two in 2015, which was the high-water mark. They won the Big Ten. During that stretch that I just read to you, five out of those six years, they won 11 games or more. Once they won 12 uh, and then once they won 13, they had it going at Michigan State. Then in 2016, they go three and nine, and it's like, okay, well, even the best programs can have an off year. The very next year, 10 and three, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's good. In 2017, they go 10 and three, they go seven and two in the league. All is still good in the life of D'Antonio and Sparty. The last two years, seven and six, seven and six. And then you're hearing all kinds of uh, toxicity in the air over in East Lansing. And then out of nowhere, at the worst possible time, he's out. What in the hell happened to Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio? 
Well, you know, when you watch them on the field this year, and then you watch Michigan State the last two seasons, really, they, you know, the, the offense and, and Nick Saban, who uh, D'Antonio worked for at one point, even said it during the national championship game this year. You, you have to evolve on offense these days. And Alabama has. And look at LSU doing it. And Clemson did a long time ago. And uh, I think Georgia may be moving more toward that. I think they were very reluctant to get away from what had made them successful uh, on offense over the years. And a lot of defensive guys, that they, they just don't uh, – you know, they think, well, this works. And, and, and there are games that Sparty would score points, you know. It wasn't like they were um, – over the years when they were good getting shut out. But, I mean, look, look, the, the Alabama playoff game that year should tell you something that, you know, you do not have any sort of schematic advantage <laughs> when you're playing a team with overwhelming talent if you're Michigan State running what you're running. So I think he was reluctant to do that. I think the end was kind of – you kind of see the writing on the wall. Um, and then there's off-the-field stuff. There's lawsuits that are taking place um, from a former assistant. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff about Michigan State right now that's getting clumped in that, that maybe just pointed toward the time being right. Um, it's the, the, the timing the day before signing day is unbelievable. Um, and it, But it also shows you, too, that, uh, you know, Mark D'Antonio and his staff, you know, they kind of just recruited who they recruited. Um and uh, National Signing Day was not always, you know, the, the biggest deal up in Michigan State because they sort of got the same guys every year. Um, there's some things that have happened, though, Mike, that have hurt Michigan State. First and foremost, you mentioned the legends and leaders or whatever. When they went to East and West, at the time, Michigan State was better than a lot of those teams, you know. Um, but you shove them in with Ohio State, uh, at Michigan and Penn State, and you know, like we've talked about the Big Ten West before. I mean, the, I mean, sorry, the SEC West. I mean, you're walking in the door for, looking at fourth most years from a talent standpoint, um, and so that's a. I think B. You talk about the rise of teams like Kentucky. Um, you look at how Mark Stoops has built a team that you know, can go win eight games in the SEC with a receiver at quarterback or win 10 the year before at Kentucky. Look at the recruiting. And this is this, these are the types of recruiting things nobody talks about. So everybody talks about star ratings. Well, Kentucky decided, hey, we're the northernmost SEC school uh, in the, on the map. We are the closest to Ohio, which is a major talent producer uh, of any school. We can go get guys. Now, did Kentucky go into Ohio and get a bunch of guys Ohio State wanted? No. They got a few that maybe Michigan would want. But who they put the dagger in was Michigan State. And I think we see it when we watch Kentucky play these days, Mike. Hmm, a lot of these kids from Ohio they've gotten, you know, may not be household names in SEC recruiting circles, but they're pretty damn good players. And these are the guys that used to go to Michigan State that D'Antonio and company would put together and turn it into a championship-winning team. Um, and, and so I think that really that's kind of that kind of eroded the talent, even though Michigan State was probably recruiting about like numerically like they always do. You know, it was the individual players going to Kentucky, uh, maybe going elsewhere and getting you know out or whatever, not picking Michigan State that, that I think's hurt them. Um, so, so the whole setup up there has changed, and I think every coach in the country now knows it. 
And then you add in the, the off the field stuff. Uh, and it's a sad, what I call a sad mess because I think for years, Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio was one of the best stories uh, mm-hmm. in college football. It was. It really was. And there was no reason to believe. I mean, I, I just went over those records. I'm not talking ancient history. I'm talking within the last 10 years. It's it's a bunch of 10-win seasons, a Big Ten championship, a 12-win season, a 13-win season. There's just no reason to believe that they were going to fall off a cliff. And, and that's what's happened. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned uh, the Kentucky factor. Of course, Mark Stoops is, again, in, in the rumor mill about a guy that they would go after. I don't think Mark Stoops is leaving for Michigan State. Mark Stoops is at a point now where he can he can – hang out for a better job if he wants one. And, and I, again, I think he's pretty doggone comfortable in Lexington. Um, they've already basically gotten turned down either voluntarily or involuntarily by the falling. Matt Campbell, Pat Narduzzi, Mel Tucker, Luke Fickle, and Penn State D.C. Brent Bry. They've all gone out of their way to say not interested. Now, some of those might not have been uh, there. You know, it's like, you know, uh, JC, I want to announce to everybody, um, I'm not going to be dating Shakira. Well, that's great. Uh, that doesn't really break Shakira's heart. Um, so I don't know how many of those guys were, were truly front and center on the list. We know Pat Narduzzi was, and it made sense. I mean, he was there under D'Antonio and, and did a heck of a job as the D.C. before he took the pit job. And he actually posted on his own Twitter account, your favorite scene from Wolf on Wall Street. Yep. Or instead of DiCaprio's face, he's got a uh, superimposed picture of him going, I'm not leaving. I'm not blanking leaving. Uh, you know, Mel, I don't know if Mel Tucker is that hot of a name right now. Let's see what he does with a little more time uh, at Colorado. Luke And Luke Fickle, you know, I think Luke is thinking, hey, I if I hang around here long enough and keep winning at Cincinnati, there's going to be bigger jobs coming down my way than Michigan State. So, uh, all those have already said no. Some of the names out there now, Jim McElwain, I can't see that happening. Um, that what happened at Florida is going to be enough to end his, I think, end his trek of being a big-time head coach at the Power 5 level again for a while. It's not just the record. It's some of the things that happened uh, outside of that. I'd love to see Brett Bielema get another chance. I mean, Brett Bielema did some good things at Wisconsin before he left for Arkansas. And then, of course, everything went to hell in a handbasket. But as we all know, Arkansas is a really, really difficult job. Uh, but those are some of the names out there. Who knows? I have no clue who's going to take this job. I don't either. I mean, look, if they could get Mark Stoops, uh, shoot, that would be a huge. That would be a better hire than some. You know, Luke Fickle to me is a rising star type of of, of guy. Uh, when they were talking about. Um, Justin Fuente, who's a guy that I think needs to win next year, is probably going to get fired uh, at Virginia Tech leaving. Uh, I thought because of, of Fickle's kind of relationship with the AD at Virginia Tech that if Luke Fickle went to Virginia Tech, he'd do big things. Um, I think jobs like that, you know, uh, let's say Michigan opens. Let's say Harbaugh hangs it up and goes back. to the, I mean, you know, Fickle's probably going to be able to get something better. Uh, in my opinion, especially with the current situation. Uh, you know, Justin Wilcox is could probably be an underrated, sneaky good hire because I think he's done a great job at Cal on defense for some reason. 
Um, Brett Bielema, you could do a whole lot worse, in my opinion. Um, but, but Mark Stoops, man, if they can, they're talking about Mark Stoops like, well, they may dip down and hire Mark Stoops. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, this guy, this guy, Michigan State could do a whole lot worse. So um, it's bad. But I'll say this about, about that job, though. From George Perlis to Nick Saban to the Bobby Williams era to Mark D'Antonio, th- this program may have a little shake, rattle, and roll sometimes, but it ends up being okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Michigan State's always going to, you know, they kind of get it. They'll have some tough, tough years, but then they'll get it back together and uh, and be okay. I, I, I think, personally, the, the problem with the slow erosion, in addition to the division, which is tough, um, is the fact that Stoops is at Kentucky coming and swiping players. I mean, it's, it's so much – it's so under the radar because national recruiting people don't sit there and talk about, oh, Kentucky beat Michigan State on, a, on this three-star kid from Ohio who's going to play in the NFL in a few years because, you know, that's just not – those aren't the type of recruiting battles everybody wants to talk about. So, you know, I, I think that would be it. But I, I – uh, I don't know. It's just unfortunate. The, and the publicly getting turned down at this point in time uh, is, mm. is tough. And, you know, hey, the, you got Mike Trestle there, um, who's Jim's brother. Uh, you know, maybe you give him a shot and, you know, if he doesn't work out, fire him in two years and, and, and then things will be a little better. Going to be interesting. I mean, much like all the SEC schools, the Big Ten, all they all have a lot of money, a lot of TV money. Uh, I don't think they're going to lose out because of money. I just think right now there might be some coaches that are like, eh, not a good time to take that job. Um, closing shop here. I'm going to get to a couple more stories before we, before we sign off. Scott Linehan hired by LSU. So if you're wondering who was going to replace Joe Brady, who, of course, departed for the Carolina Panthers, you get a guy with a ton of NFL experience. I mean, that just goes to show you where we are now, where – uh, big-time college programs can get a, a savvy veteran or a hot young coach uh, with with an NFL background. To me, it seems like a pretty good hire. I, I think so. I mean, it's kind of the same uh, philosophy they they did when they went and got Joe Brady. You want the, the pro-style passing offense, and you got Insminger there calling everything else, and you, you want to kind of do the same thing. I, I think that's fine. I mean, it's a, he's a guy that certainly – in play calling circles, uh, you know, has done a good job. I, I think it's it's interesting, and he may he may he may even be better than Joe Brady. Who, who knows in terms of calling plays? He's certainly more experienced than Joe was when they hired him. So uh, I see the thought there uh, with Ed Orgeron and what he's doing. Do you make anything? Uh, I know sometimes people freak out when one SEC school pilfers an assistant coach from another. It seems to be happening a lot uh, this year. I don't know if it's more than normal, but. Any uh, moves stand out to you? Well, it, you know, it, it's interesting with South Carolina and Tennessee. You know, Drew Hughes, the player director of player personnel for Jeremy Pruitt, and that's kind of the in-house recruiting guy, was with Will Muschamp at Florida, stayed on under Jim McElwain. Uh, Will Muschamp hired Matt Lindsay. Uh, Matt Lindsay goes for a promotion uh, this time around. Uh, schools are hiring these general managers, they call them. Uh, it's basically an assistant AD that's in charge of anything the head coach doesn't want to worry about, I guess. Um, and so he goes and worked to work for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and then Drew Hughes immediately comes from Knoxville to work for Muschamp again. 
That's an off-the-field deal that nobody will ever talk about. Uh, and then Tracy Rocker, who I think is one of the best defensive line coaches in the country, um, long track record in the SEC since his days as a player at Auburn, hired as the Gamecocks defensive line coach. Uh, and, and so you had some, some kind of movement there. Uh, South Carolina's D-line coach went to Penn State. So, you know, then Tennessee turns around and, and hires a guy in Jimmy Brumbaugh from, from Colorado who used to be at Kentucky. Uh, so there's some musical chairs there. Brumbaugh's just probably just as good of a D-line coach as Tracy Rocker is. Uh, and then Tennessee's linebackers coach, Chris Rumpf, actually uh, a veteran assistant from the SEC, goes to the Houston Texans. So uh, I, I don't really look at it as – you know, being a huge deal in terms of guys moving. A lot of these guys are mercenaries, number one. A lot of these guys, too, have been planning to leave, but because you have a signing day, you know, you're not going to talk about it. And, and I'm not before people say, oh, you knew about this with any specific case. I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I'm just saying there's a reason there's a ton of movement after signing days, you know, with regards to assistant coaches and uh, – and all that. So we'll kind of see how uh, everything plays out when all is said and done. But I, I did think, you know, the fact that two Tennessee staff members left to come to South Carolina, uh, I, I don't remember that happening uh, very often. I, I've heard of assistants leaving South Carolina to go to Tennessee, but leaving Tennessee to come to South Carolina, that, that's kind of something new and I guess sort of a, a, a tribute to the ability of Will Muschamp to continue to find – uh, good people to work with. You know, if he starts winning there, you know, he could, it could really be something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, in the case of, of rocker, of course, was a, an outstanding defensive player at, at Auburn and has had a, a successful career. Uh, no matter what he does the rest of his life, his son in a roughly 18 months is going to break the bank. Oh, wow. Kumar yeah. rocker. If you watched any uh, of the, college baseball season of course Vanderbilt won the national championship and as a freshman that kid was studly through a no hitter in, in a regional game uh remember that name his his boy is going to make a lot of money in the near future he's a uh, a special special talent um according to Brett McMurphy uh LSU and Florida State will play each other in 2022 in New Orleans, 2023 in Orlando. I love the fact that they're playing. I hate the fact that it's on neutral site fields. Can we just do a home-and-home and and, and let the atmospheres of Death Valley and Doak Campbell stand on their own? I guess a few extra bucks when you play it on a a neutral site. I didn't get that. I mean, I know that that in Orlando they're they're trying to kind of do it like – and they they do it every year. They have – even uh, I guess with Florida and Miami this year they did it, and then you know Alabama, Louisville a couple of years ago they they trying to kind of get into the neutral site game. Uh, New Orleans, my is my guess is New Orleans was kind of a okay. We want a two game deal. If you guys want to go neutral down there, I guess we could go to New Orleans or whatever. But um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I'm the fans might are gonna they're wanting more home and homes. You know, Absolutely, because it's, it, it's getting a little old sometimes for like fans that buy season tickets. You know, you're an Alabama fan. Good lord, you know, you, you got your season tickets, you got your parking space, you got your tailgating thing, and you got five cupcakes to go see. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think I, I understand where the fans are coming from. Nothing, nothing <laughs> replaces a, a home game. 
No. Uh, I don't care if it's an hour away and it's a nice, convenient drive. It's still not the same as playing in your own ballpark, your own stadium. It, it's it, you, you don't get the same vibe. Uh, it, it, one of the one of the great things about playing these national showcase games too is it's a great PR thing for your program. People, more people watch those games. Uh, it's not just the same little fan base in your particular league. It becomes a national event. Uh, you'd like to show off your stadium, your fans, the environment. You can't do that when you're playing on a neutral field. So that's that's the one thing I hope we start getting away from a little bit is, is that. Uh, I don't want to get into we'll, – we'll save the Big Ten transfer proposal. I know some of the national guys on SiriusXM, they got three hours to kill every day. I mean, they've spent countless hours on it. Um, I, I don't want to go there now. Let's, let's get up. But I do want to just in, in closing, and I, I touched on this earlier, Vanderbilt looking for another AD. So uh, Malcolm Turner resigns and they wind up hiring. Sorry. Yeah. They wind up hiring, uh, story Lee, who's a former women's uh, basketball player. Um, and now she's the AD, uh, <sighs> You know, I have so much respect for the Vanderbilt program, the, the school. Uh, we just mentioned the baseball program. Can't say enough about the job Tim Corbin and company has done. But this thing seems like it got a little messy, and, and I, I hope at some point. And I don't, I you know, I don't know. I know she's been there for years, um, kind of an apprentice role. Obviously, it's historic. She's a female African American, so that that's going to to get some headlines. But um, I just wonder, you know, Malcolm Turner's legacy is going to be keeping a football coach that that has struggled and and firing one coach after three years in favor of a guy that never coached in college. And we'll see ultimately how both those moves wind up. But um, when you heard that news, I know it was shocking even to, to a lot of people in the Vanderbilt community. What was your take? I, you know, I, it, I, I think that Vanderbilt has tried to maybe – I think when you're Vanderbilt, you need to go outside the box. I, I don't know that they've gone outside the box in the right ways. Um, in terms of, you know, making uh, decisions that are geared toward how can we overcome and win. Um, and and I, I just think that, you know, when you look at those decisions over the years, there's, you know, there's been one magical hire in James Franklin. Um, you know, a hire that everybody thought would work out in Bryce Drew that obviously didn't. Uh, but then you get beyond those guys. And um, you know, outside of Tim Corbin and the baseball program, it, it, it's really not been that successful. And it, it's been a disaster in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that you can call Derek Mason a complete disaster because he's had a couple of bowl teams, which is good for Vandy. But, I mean, that guy has done nothing to raise the level of that program at all. Uh, and, and, in fact, it's sunk since Franklin left. And then I don't even know what to think about the basketball program right now. So it, it's just one of those things where, you know, you, you have to be careful when you're trying to make an, an out-of-the-box hire in terms of your leadership, that the out-of-the-boxness or the, the poor decisions, um, you know, don't trickle down as a result of it. We do know this. It's never been a better time in the history of the SEC to be an athletic department for the last fiscal year, the revenue distribution. Now this is before 
booster clubs, all the money that's generated in-house. This is also excluding bowl money retained by the teams that went to bowl games. But the and, and obviously the overwhelming part of this is TV money, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about CBS with the basketball tournament. We're talking about ESPN, SEC Network with, uh, with everything that they do with college football, baseball, et cetera. $651 million. That's $44.6 million per school. That's before a single ticket is sold. That's before a single donation is made by an alum, by a booster, et cetera. 40, that number is about to go up, by the way with the new television package, the new Saturday game of the week that was CBS, it's not, no, it's not going to be CBS any longer, that 44.6 in a few years, it's going to be close to $70 million. Mm-hmm. It's Even I can do the simple math on this one. It's going to be close to $70 million, again, before a single ticket is sold. So, and it's this is not like the Big 12 which has an uneven distribution where Texas gets more than the other nine. And if you're in the other nine, you don't like it too bad. Shut up. Good luck going somewhere else. That's been the big 12s. Just that's the way they operate. That's the way they do business. Uh, Texas kind of feels like they've got them by the, you know what? And the SEC Vanderbilt gets just as much on that distribution as Georgia, Alabama, Florida, LSU, South Carolina, same exact check is cut to all 14 schools. So, uh, you know, at some point, they've got to be thinking, okay, we've got to get the right people in place to make the right decisions. We've got to improve football facilities. That has been said. I think Jordan Rogers, of all people, who's a, an alum and, and prominent on the SEC network, has been very outspoken about the fact that it's ridiculous that they have not done more to improve their football facilities. Again, you're, I realize you're not selling 100,000 tickets uh, like some of the other schools in the SEC, but you're getting $44.6 million right off the cuff. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see with the new AD what is done there. And again, Vanderbilt does offer unique challenges. There's no question about that. Uh, being the AD at an Alabama uh, or a Florida, or all the other schools I just mentioned, it's an easier ticket than it is Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt has unique challenges. It is a, is a private school, uh, low enrollment, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that fan base certainly deserves to be competitive in the, the, the two major sports. We already know how good they are in baseball, but in football and basketball, certainly they can uh, – they can compete, and they have in the past. you got to at least try. At, at basketball, there's no reason why Vanderbilt can't be really good, one of the best in the SEC. You know, football's got its challenges because of the numbers. Um, but, you know, you, you see Stanford doing it. You see Duke doing it. Now, they're not in the SEC. But, again, just like I talk about when I talk about Missouri and South Carolina and Kentucky and Tennessee and everybody else, you're in the East. So, yeah. it's not as hopeless. So, right. yeah, I, I, I think that if I were a Vanderbilt fan – and and their fan base isn't as big as some other ones. But I am I am livid uh, because, you know, you, you look back five, six years ago, and nobody expected the nine-win seasons to keep going, you know, mm-hmm. like James Franklin did. But you had a football program you could be proud of. You had an emerging baseball program that was on the cusp of a national championship. And Kevin Stallings was very solid. Mm-hmm. Year after year after year, you know, they were in the tournament a bunch. And now the bottom has just fallen out, and the answer continues to be these, you know, 
win the press release and, and win love on Twitter hires uh, when in reality they're, they're, you know, a lot of hat, no cattle. Yeah, I've never heard that expression. I like that. Yeah, a lot Say of that one more. A lot of hat, lot no of, cattle. A lot of hat, no cattle. It's Very nice. Out in Texas. There you go. Uh, time for us to say goodbye. Are you surviving the, the lack of football? We, we can talk. We're not going to talk XFL, like specifically XFL. All I'll say is it was interesting to see some form. For me, that's the only thing. Like I heard Tony Kornheiser say, nobody knows who the players are, and therefore blah, 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 blah. And I oh, disagree. I yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's the appeal. Like I don't care who wins, but I do know because if you follow college football, you know exactly who the players are. That's the only appeal I have for this thing. Um, and, and so uh, I hope it works. I want spring football. I don't care. It doesn't have to be great. The new rules are interesting. Uh, it doesn't have the gimmicky factor of Vince McMahon, Oliver Luck, the son of, of Andrew Luck, and a former AD and playoff committee guy. He knows what he's doing. He's a sharp dude. And that guy should be running. Forget about the XFL. He should be running college football and basketball. Uh, but, but he, you got the right guy at the top. You got the perfect face, man. Uh, and I do enjoy watching Aaron Murray throw passes to insert former sec receiver, what have you. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more uh, next week as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm surviving the, the football Joneses. Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good right now. I've got college basketball, which I know you get a feel of, uh, I kind of have my schedule. I watch some, ba- I try to get three or four games in every week and, all that good stuff and, and looking forward to the spring and summer and, you know, warm weather and a little pro baseball. And before you know it, we'll be back with college football. All we need is another a season of Ozark uh, on Netflix to, to keep it growing. And uh, that comes out late March. So we'll have another podcast before then where, where I will share my Ozark theory with those, <laughs> that, uh, with those that watch the show. You've already shared it with me. I won't spoil it, but I, yeah. I hope your theory's right because that, oh, would, yeah. that would, I love that particular uh, character. Uh, so something else to, to be on pins and needles for. JC, enjoy it. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care, folks.